All right. Good morning. It's so good to see you. It really, really is. Mako and I were not in church last week because my father-in-law went to go be with the Lord on Sunday. And uh, Miles Mitsunaga, he loved the Lord. And so we're, we're in the grieving process. And grieving sucks. But you still got to do it. You still have to walk through it and you have to... Hopefully, Mako and I are grieving well, and we just want to thank everybody for your prayers and your support and all that comfort food. Like, I've got so much comfort food in me, I passed on donuts this morning. Too much sugar. So, yeah, thank you all for your support, and we'll be having a memorial service next Sunday at 2 o'clock here at Granite Creek. And uh, so, anyway, thank you so much. It's nice to be on the receiving side of ministry. It's one thing that our church does very well is that we take care of each other. And so thank you for taking care of us. It means the world to us. It really, really does. So, All right, let's jump into the message. I changed the sermon. Imagine that. Um, We're in a series called The Biography of the Saints. And the whole purpose of The Biography of the Saints is to not teach you about a bunch of holy people. The drive and the focus of this series is to highlight, to ignite, to shed light on what your calling is. Who cares about all those dead saints? We want to know what God's got planned for your life, your calling, your gifts, your abilities, how God is going to use you. You are the saint, the saint in the making. So today we were supposed to talk about Amy Simple McPherson. She literally changed the world. She was a preacher, an evangelist, an apostle, like you name it. She was pretty much all of them. And she's definitely somebody I am going to return to later because she was so inspirational. And she used media. She used radio. She was brilliant at spreading the gospel. And God used her in powerful ways to heal the sick and cast out demons. Like, she would go into hospitals and empty them out. People got out of wheelchairs and threw their crutches away. And so I can't wait to get into the prophetic ministry of Amy, because she it's debatable. You know, she was a healer. She was an evangelist. She was an apostle. She started a movement. But I want to highlight her, her gifting and her calling of a prophet because she had a prophetic voice inside of a culture. So she's coming later, but we're not doing that one today. What we're going to be doing today, and I didn't necessarily want to do uh, a saint from the Bible. I wanted her to do saints that, that are not in the Bible, but today we're going to do a saint that is actually in the scriptures. And, and by the end of the sermon, you'll understand why I went this direction. But let me ask you a question. Who is your favorite New Testament character? Who's the one that stands out? Besides Jesus, you can't say Jesus, but who is your second favorite New Testament character? Why don't you holler out a couple? Who who jumps out of you when you think about the New Testament and the Gospels? Paul, Matthew, Peter, John. Okay, so these are these are like. 
the rock stars of the New Testament. Think about how, I mean, a lot of us can relate to Peter, amen? The biggest knucklehead in the Bible. But clearly, clearly, a rock star. Literally, that's what his name means, rock. (laughs) These are people that we want to be like. These are people we want to emulate. The ones that we look up to. Let me ask you another question. Do you know, this is Bible trivia time, so raise your hand if you know. Dad can't raise his hand. (laughs) Mandy Van Helsbeck, your youth pastor, got this one right. And she says, I'm terrible at Bible trivia, but I got it right. Do you know who Jesus' very first disciple was? Raise your hand if you think you know. It's okay if you don't, because if you would have asked me this question last week, I would have got it wrong. Does anybody know who Jesus' first disciple? Because we're talking about your calling. Do you know who Jesus called first? Any wild guesses? Who said that? Mark Forty got it right. He's the guy. When I was in Sunday school, he was that kid that made the pastor's kid look bad. (laughs) Say, I hate you. So I got unforgiveness in my heart for guys like you. Andrew, so today we're going to talk about the disciple, the saint, Andrew. Now, where Peter had 50,000 followers on Instagram, Andrew maybe had about 20 or 30. There's only 13 references in the New Testament about Andrew. And yet, he is the first called. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the disciple John is writing about John the Baptist, two different Johns. Chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist, the one that's preaching repentance to God's people, turn from your ways and prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready, God's coming. Get ready, Jesus is coming, was John's message. Repent. He had two disciples. When he, John, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Other scriptures say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He makes that declaration. He sees sees who Jesus is. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? It's kind of a really important question to ask. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So right there, in the the discipleship process, when God calls you, you need to catch this, uh, when God calls you, when you know he's, he's getting your attention, when you, when you hear his voice, 
when you come to the realization that there's something more to your life than what you're normally doing, that there is a, a higher calling marked on your life. Everybody's got one, by the way. You all have a higher calling on your life. One of the things that God has to do is he has to give you a new prescription for your glasses. He is working on the optics. He is saying you need to change the way that you see. You need to change the way you see yourself. You need to change the way you see the Lord. You need to change how you view the world. The first thing the Lord does when he calls you into your calling is he changes the way that you see. And he's even using this language. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said, look. So you've got to look and behold the Lamb of God. That needs to be your new lens. It needs to be your filter. That you are looking and you are beholding the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then we see this calling that Jesus has specifically upon them. He says to them, it's like, where are you staying, Jesus? What are you up to? What is this all about? Why is John recognizing you? And why does John see something in you that nobody else is seeing? Do you know what Jesus' response was? It was, come and see. Come and see. One of the callings that we've gone over in, in the book of Ephesians is the calling of evangelism. Not all of us are a great evangelist like Billy Graham or Amy Simple McPherson, but all of us, every single one of you, has a responsibility to evangelize. You have to share your faith. You can't keep it inside of you. Do you know what the best way to, you know how you do it? The best way to do it it's not arguing. It's not a Facebook chat. It's not beating somebody up with the Bible. This is how it looks. They ought to see the life that you're living. They should see and recognize the joy that's inside of you and the peace that's inside of you and the kindness of God that, that emanates from your body. It is the kindness of God, the scriptures say, that lead people to repentance. They need to be attracted to your kindness. And when somebody says, Peggy, I don't understand why you are so calm during this season. The, the world is burning down. It's, it's hell in a handbasket right now. How come you are not moved? How come you have a peace? If anybody ever says that to you, how come you got your act together when the world's falling apart? How come you're so happy right now? You shouldn't, there's nothing to be happy about right now. Why are you happy right now? If anybody ever asks you that question, this is your response. Come and see. Come and see. You want to know why I'm this way? You want to know why I can carry myself in such a way in, in the midst of difficult times? Just come and see. You just need to come and see. You need to hang out with me. Come, and, come over to my house for dinner. Come and see. Come and visit my church. Just come and see. We have a small group that meets on Thursday nights. Come and see and come and taste that the Lord is good. That's how you evangelize. 
It's pretty simple. Come and see. And so these two disciples did. And so they went out and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. And it was in about the 10th hour. And here we go. Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. So one of the two. We don't know who the other guy is. I don't know why he's not named in the Bible. But who is named is Andrew. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon slash Peter and tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He came, he saw, and then he brought Peter, the future rock star, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, and he said, come and follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. It's actually a town maybe a little bit like ours. A town that doubted quite a bit, where even Jesus couldn't do miracles because of the lack of faith. Interesting statement. But that's where these guys are from. Andrew... Again, is only mentioned a few other times in the scriptures. One in the list of the apostles, like he's one of the 12. Another time he is mentioned at the feeding of the 5,000. He is noted when they said, Jesus says, hey, we need to take care of these people. It's one thing to pray. It's one thing to preach messages. But they have a physical need and we need to do something about it. Andrew Andrew replies, well, we have five fish and some bread. It's a statement of faith. We have something. We have some resources. And from that statement of faith, say, hey, we've got something. At least we got something. From that positive mindset, from that optic view that there is a way, that God can make a way. He can do with the impossible. He can make the possible happen. We see one of the greatest miracles because of Andrew's faith. Do we have any Andrews in the house today? Anybody named Andrew in here? Do you have any Andreas? Bummer. Andrea is another form. Do you know what Andrew means? First of all, probably most interesting is that Andrew's name is not a Hebrew name. It's a Greek name. His brother, Simon, and Peter, you know, he gets his name changed. Those are, that's, what you, that's what you name a nice little Hebrew boy. If you're a good and upstanding Hebrew family, you name your kids a Hebrew name. 
So we have a big mystery right here. I mean, if you're reading the scriptures, if you read this gospel, it's so easy to read over it. But if you dive in a little bit deeper and if you study the Greek, if you study the Hebrew, you, it's, it's right there. It's obvious that Andrew is not a Hebrew name. There's actually even, there's not even a form of Andrew in Hebrew. So what in the world's going on here? Okay. Historians and theologians give us two options. First option in this area of Galilee and Bethsaida, that the Hellenized world, the Greek world, the Greek culture had infiltrated so much and so deep into the Hebrew culture that they just began to not only use the language, began to swap customs and swap traditions. And so one theory is, is that Peter and Andrew's family were so Hellenized, so Greek, so they just assimilated so much. They're like, ah, it's no big deal. Let's name them a Greek name. I highly doubt that option, but that's one option that's presented. The second option, which is a little more interesting, in the scriptures, Andrew is always referred to Peter's brother, but Peter is never referred to as Andrew's brother. So, maybe, and again, it's speculation, we have no idea. Maybe, just maybe, dad was a Greek. Maybe it was a mixed family. We don't know. We clearly don't know. But what we can deduce, what we can see, in that very statement, maybe, or maybe it's an omission, but clearly, Peter is the rock star, and Andrew is behind the scenes for whatever reason. It is fascinating, although, that Jesus' very first disciple had a Greek name. Like, that's a big deal. You might, why is that a big deal, Pastor Josh? Well, I don't know. Like, in my culture, if I was going to build the perfect Christian team, right, I'm going to, like, I got all the resources, and I'm going to start a new church, and I'm going to gather a great team of Christian warriors, right? Now, I want people that are passionate. They're going to spread the word of God. And, uh, you know, if I was a certain type of Christian at a certain type of church, I would probably want to make sure that it's marketed right and that the language is appropriate to the culture that I'm ministering to. So, hypothetically... It'd probably be a bad move for me to hire somebody named Ahmed. But Jesus would do it. Jesus would do it. I know he would do it because he hired Andrew. His name didn't fit the culture. His name, the linguistics of his name, did not fit Jesus' message. And although Jesus is saying very profoundly my first disciple is Andrew the guy with the Greek name the guy that doesn't fit in the guy that's behind the scenes quite possibly the guy that might be half Greek half Jew again we don't know for sure but don't you wonder 12 verses in the Bible and again he is not as popular as his brother anybody ever have that experience I don't have a brother um, I'm kind of glad I don't have a brother because I'm highly competitive. 
and I want to be the favorite. But what did Andrew do after this? Well, in ways, it's seen in his name. In Greek, Andrew is translated into, I like this. So if you guys, if anybody in the house is pregnant right now, consider Andrew for your next child's name, for your next boy name. Because the literal definition in Greek is manly. Good, we need some good manly men these days. It's manly is his definition. But for Andrea, the, the feminized version of the name, it is bold and courageous. Bold and courageous. That's his name. And not only is it his name, it's almost like Jesus picked him because of that name. Or it was predestined to be that this person behind the scenes is bold, is courageous, and is tapped into his calling and to his destiny. We have it on good account. Although it is not in the scriptures, we have it on good account through church history and other sources that Andrew did that great commandment and that great commission. He hit the road. He used his name. He used his Greek name to minister to the Greek culture. We have it on good account. He took off. He left Jerusalem. He left Judea, and he went into the world. One of the first places that he stopped off was Georgia, not, um, uh, not the Georgia where we get our peaches in the south. There's another Georgia. It's on the Black Sea. And he went to Scythia. And then actually, we believe that he set up churches all around the Black Sea. And so... We see Andrew functioning in that one calling of an evangelist, right? Because he led his brother Peter to the Lord. Could you imagine if Andrew had not have done that? Just this one little thought, one little insignificant, I shouldn't call him insignificant, but somebody that doesn't have the clout of the, the, the rock stars. What if Andrew would have been like, I don't believe this guy, this is lame, I'm out of here. What if he would have called up Peter and said, hey, man, let's go get some beers instead of saying, hey, come and see. I think I just found the Messiah. What would have happened? What would the story have looked like? So he functioned in that calling of an evangelist. And then he functioned in the calling of an apostle, setting up churches around the Black Sea. And this is why I changed the message for today. I changed the saint today because of current events. And there's something that I wanted to show you. You can't prove it historically, but church tradition tells us that the furthest place that Andrew went was Kiev, Ukraine. And in Kiev, Ukraine, before there was a city, he erected 
a tall cross on a hill where now a cathedral stands. Furthermore, not only did he go, not only did he begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a small group of people, probably at that time out in the middle of nowhere, he prophesied that there would be a city in that location someday. And that city would be a city of Christians, a city dedicated to the Lord. Years and years later, a city was established, Kiev in Ukraine, became the capital of that nation. And not only was it a capital, it was a place where you could go and you could be discipled in a ministry school. They called them monasteries. They would probably drive most of us crazy. They called them the caves. And you'd have to go and be a monk inside of a cave. They, they messed around with the monasticism a little bit. There were some monks in Kiev that um, they did the complete isolation thing. So part of the job, like you had to go and you had to dig out your own cave and live in it by yourself. And then one of these monks said, this kind of sucks. I don't like being alone. And they developed monastic communities where they would all get together and they would share their lives together. Eat and drink and learn about Jesus and then do the stuff. So what I want to highlight on this one is that, yeah, we, can, we don't know for sure, but I want to believe. I'm just going to go ahead and believe. Andrew went to Kiev and set up a cross and prophesied that that city would be dedicated to the Lord. An introvert. Somebody that didn't get a lot of press in the Bible. Somebody, when you watch the Chosen movie and you watch the, the feeding of the 5,000, or when you watch the, you know, Jesus says to Peter, cast your nets over to the other side and pull up the haul of fish. Okay, so, okay, you remember that story and you see it on the TV? I, I just, I'm watching the Chosen because I'm deciding to be a good Christian these days. And I am enjoying it. You guys are right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But like even in our in our mind, like like that dialogue in the in the movie Chosen is between Jesus and Peter, right? Because Jesus says, "Cast your nets on the other side." And they pull up that load of fish, and then Jesus says, "I'm gonna make follow me. I'm gonna make you fishers of men." Right? Remember that? Remember the show? Remember the shot? The frame is on Peter's face, but you know what your word of God says? You know what the Bible says? Jesus said it to Peter and Andrew. He said to Andrew, just as much as he said to Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're an introvert, if you're a behind-the-scenes kind of person, I've got some good news for you. God's got a calling for your life, and it's powerful, and it could be world-changing. Back in the turn of the century, 
the previous turn of the century. 1901, 1902, right, Dad? There's a great movement of God in our community, in Los Angeles. It's called the Azusa Street Revival. And within a very short period of time, thousands upon thousands of people were having encounters with God at some very spectacular levels. It all took place because there was a few people that were dedicated to the Word of God. They were reading the Scriptures. They, they kind of came to the same conclusion that John Wimber came to uh, on our last saint that we highlighted. And William Seymour is like, man, I kind of want to do this stuff. How come we don't get to play? This is what the Word of God says. I'm supposed to believe it. So how come I can't do this stuff? And so they dedicated themselves in prayer, and then something miraculous happened. The power and the Holy Spirit poured, about, poured out in Los Angeles, the, the Zeus Street Revival, 1901-1902. You don't hear about it in the history books because uh, well, the people that write the history books, they don't want you to know about it. But the church should want you to know about it because it changed the world. Have you ever heard of the term Pentecostal? Okay, Pentecostal has a negative connotation because of TV evangelists, a few charlatans that have given it a bad name. Charismatic Pentecostal has a bad name, but this is the good news about those two terms, is that they are the fastest growing denominational group in the world. We might not like them here, but I guarantee you all over the world, in third world countries, it's Pentecostal, charismatic, all the way, baby. Because they're seeing God move in powerful ways. It is the largest Christian group, with the exception of Catholics. It's Pentecostals. Where did that come from? Los Angeles in 1902 with an African-American man named William Seymour where the Holy Spirit poured out and changed not only a nation, but the world. Happened in California. It can happen again. During that time, there was a man, an immigrant. Last time I checked, we were a, we're a country of immigrants. There was an immigrant that made the long, hard journey from Europe to America, to have a better life, to live free, to make the best out of a situation, to live that American dream, right? He was Ukrainian. Messed around, ended up in one of Seymour's revival meetings, was filled with the Spirit of God. And do you know what this unknown Ukrainian did? He went back to Ukraine. He went back to the very place that he fled from. And in Ukraine, he started doing what Andrew did, and he began to say, come and see. He even told Jewish people about Jesus. That's a hard thing to do. But they came and they saw and they gave their life to Jesus. A Slavic 
Jewish family came to faith in Jesus Christ because of Azusa Street Revival and the faithfulness and following the call and taking risk. That family had a grandson <laughs> named Fred Illion. Some of you know who Fred is. Most of you don't. Fred Illion and his family were in Soviet-controlled Russia and Ukraine. And back in those days, it wasn't a good idea to be a Christian, let alone a Pentecostal or a charismatic. You know, they, the Soviets killed you for that. And so one day, a group of believers all got up, packed their bags, and started walking for China. There, were, there was no telephone calls. There were no texts. There was no Facebook group organization. It was a download from the Holy Spirit to each individual person that persecution is coming. They're going to kill you. It's time to get up and start walking. And they did. And they made the long, hard trip to China where they set up Christian Slavic communities inside of China. Eventually, those people would go to Australia, eventually to, to America, and eventually to Canada. And this grandson of that, of that incredible journey is Fred Illion, who has a ministry. And because of that ministry, Kid Care was born because of dad's relationship to Fred Illion. Because Fred drugged dad to, to Siberia after the fall of communism when orphans were literally starving to death. And that just, well, that just messes you up, right? This changes your life. My point is, an unknown Ukrainian man was faithful in sharing the gospel. And because of that moment, well, we're, we're quite honestly, we're sitting here because of that. Last week, I talked about the idea that if it wasn't for John Wimber, there would be no church here. There would be no Granite Creek. Just think about all these different Andrews that, that spoke prophetically, that spoke life, that, that encouraged, that shared their faith. We don't have to be a Peter to do this stuff. We can be an Andrew. The, the hard truth is, is that you might not get recognized this side of heaven for doing a good deed. But I promise you this, you will be recognized in heavenly places. I promise you this, if you're faithful to your calling, and if you don't care what the world thinks, if you don't care what your brothers and sisters or what people think of you, if you don't care about how many likes or how many kudos you get, if the only thing that you care about is honoring the Lord with what he has given you and being faithful to him to the very end, I guarantee you, you will get a jewel in your crown. So are you an Andrew or are you a Peter? It's like Jesus talks to both of them. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
One, like Peter, is going to be the rock star. He's going to be famous. He's going to have basilicas built around him. He's going to have all these things. And, you know, when some preacher says, who's your favorite disciple? Everybody's going to say, Peter. No one says Andrew. But Jesus sees them the same. We also have it on good authority, just the way that the text is written. Usually when we think about who was closest to Jesus, it's Peter and John. Some scholars think that Andrew was just as close. Isn't that cool? That Jesus is just as close to you and me, us introverts that don't have this flamboyant lifestyle, they're not hot-headed like a Peter. Do you, isn't that encouraging that Jesus is just to, as close to everyday normal people? I'm sorry for all of you extroverts. I didn't mean to offend you. But God loves us all the same. And never downgrade your calling because you're not like a Peter. Like your little acts of faithfulness can literally change nations and establish cities for God. He can use absolutely anybody in miraculous ways. So let me just speak to all the Andrews. That definition of that name is courage. You all can be courageous. You all can be courageous in your own ways. So have a list of scriptures. Landon, come on up. I have a list of scriptures about how God calls Andrews to be courageous. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Like, just let that one seek in right now. Like, be strong, be courageous, don't be dismayed, don't let discouragement come into your mind. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard. Like we've got to understand the situations that we're living in. You need to guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Be aware of what's going on. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. 1 Chronicles 28. David said, to Solomon, his son. It's an instruction of father to son. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will never fail you or forsake you until you are able to do all of the work and the service that the Lord has called you to. I hit this scripture two weeks ago, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. 
a sound mind. Second Samuel 10, 12. Be of good courage and let us be an encouragement for our people. Amen? Okay, so you need to take courage, but you also need to model courage to the people that are around you. And for the cities of our God, cities like Kiev, whom a demon-possessed man wants to destroy right now. And may the Lord do what seems good. It's more of a narrative type of a sermon, story type of a sermon, but there is one point. Courage is a commandment. He is commanding you to be courageous and strong. You have to choose it. Some of us are naturally courageous. Some are naturally strong. But I guarantee you, it's not good enough. You need God's courage. You need God's strength. Courage is a commandment. And he is saying to you today, despite what situations you are in, and despite what situations our world is in, we as believers must be courageous and strong. And he has promised, he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. We're going to take communion after this song that Landon's going to, to give us. And during this song, before we receive the elements, I want to encourage you to empty your minds of your static, of your drama, of your problems. If you can, Empty your mind about your conflict, whether you have an issue with your spouse or your kids, whether work is driving you crazy and you want to quit. Like, I want you just to empty your mind of all that garbage and ask the Holy Spirit two questions. Holy Spirit, is there anything inside of me that is grieving the Spirit? To grieve the Holy Spirit means that you are harboring bitterness, resentment, anger, or hurt. If you are in conflict with somebody, you are grieving the Spirit of God. If you are intentionally fighting somebody and you are not willing to reconcile, that is grieving the Holy Spirit. Ask for forgiveness. Do business with God. Forgive one another as he has forgiven us. So in your empty mind, the Holy Spirit will bring things into your mind on business that you need to take care of. The other question I'm going to ask you to ask in the presence of the Holy Spirit, is there anything in me, Lord, that wants to control you? That's what we call quenching the Holy Spirit. God wants to move. He's got a call on your life. He wants to push you into your destiny. But you want to push God into something else. You want to control God. You need to give up thou reins. You need to give over the steering wheel. You need to get Jesus out of the trunk and put him in the front seat. We need to try to, we need to quit controlling God. We need to allow God to control us.
So ask yourself, God, is there anything in me that is trying to control and to manipulate the move of God in my life? And he'll show you. Would you stand? We're going to worship. And in that midst of worship, again, try to empty your mind of all of your problems and see what God has to say to you. Come and dine, the master calls. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes turned water into wine. To the hungry now he calls. Come and dine. Jesus has the saints of God are there. He invites his chosen people come and dine. With his manna he does feed and supplies their every need. Too sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calls. Come and dine. table all the time. He who fed the multitudes and turned water into wine to the hungry, now he calls, come and dine. This is the body of Christ broken for you. It also symbolizes for you, Andrews, you are just important as a Peter in the body of Christ. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have gifts that need to be expressed. You have destinies to set, people to save, communities to heal. You are a part of the body of Christ, which was broken for you. No that he values you as much as he values your own body, his own body. Receive the body of Christ for your provision and your calling. <laughs> this is what makes us saints. You know that you're a saint, or at least you're a saint in the making. So every Sunday, we get to be reminded of this, that inside of the new covenant, inside of this cup, well, it makes us saint-like. It washes away all of our sins, makes us more and more like him. Without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no purity. There is no true walk with the Lord without this cup. So receive the cup for the forgiveness of your sins and the changing of the way that you see yourself. No more will you be a sinner. You will be a saint. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> that, my friends, is some good drink. I just want to remind you today at 5, 
we'll be having a leadership meeting, and I want to invite you all to come. We're going to spend some time praying for the church in Ukraine and the church in Russia. We believe that prayer changes things. So I want to encourage you to join us in that. Then we're going to be visioning you up with what we have planned or coming up next with Granite Creek. It's really exciting stuff, and we'd love to share it with you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn towards you in your times of need. May he be gracious to you. May he fill your home, your workplace, your cars with peace and with joy. This Lord who has called you, he is faithful. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Go on that blessing today. God bless you guys.